Steve Cuff, uh, you get another of these meandering messes of an episode. Uh, Steve is off in Ireland again for God knows why. But uh, if anyone can answer the question as to, to what the appeal is, uh, it's probably Jack Eason. Jack, why why does Steve? I, I don't know why he spends more time there than I do now. It's I didn't realize it was like an exchange thing going on. I just thought I I'd gotten residency here and that was that but apparently america has to keep sending someone back and it's steve he keeps he won the lottery uh well you know it's one of those lesser prizes have you have you ever uh, been to ireland adam i think i think you'd enjoy it i think you'd have fun i mean i i could i could visit like fucking wyoming and i'm sure i could have some fun you could find some things i to mean enjoy. but you know it's dark uh, it's a little miserable it's got a lot of alcohol flowing uh you know it's it's yeah i think i think you'd do okay there check it out sometime i i don't know jack my mind is is too poisoned with the associations of of Irish Americans and their fucking bullshit. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, okay, look, we're not, and I've said this before, I will never ever take responsibility for Irish Americans. They are American and they are fully your fucking fault. And that's that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I should get over my <laughs> associations and uh, and move on. Uh, also joining me, uh, we have... Uh, Twitter superstar, uh, Jake Tropila. Jake, you, you had an eventful weekend on, on the Twitter, on Elon Musk's social media platform. Uh, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, arguably one of my best weeks ever on the site, if you uh, can believe it. Um, should we discuss the incident that occurred around today's topic of film conversation, or should we discuss what even happened before that, which also exploded? Uh, we can discuss both. We've got nothing but time, Jake. Yeah, so um, uh, one of our favorite uh, people to watch on Twitter, um, who we, we do not hate, I should say. There's some rumor that we hate this person. Uh, they are the uh, editor-in-chief of a site called uh, Next Best Picture. Shared that on Thanksgiving, they were watching everything everywhere all at once with their parents. Uh, they had built it up to them as it was their favorite movie of the year. They were excited to watch it. Uh, partway into the film, both of their parents fell asleep. Uh, when their parents woke up, uh, the mother, I guess, tried to praise some of the editing, and the father left the room that the movie was being watched in while the said film person was sobbing on the couch. And uh, I just uh, took the screenshots of that story, and I just said, hey, happy Thanksgiving, and everyone... Uh, was uh, was having a good time reading that and saying, uh, you know, this is a uh, is pretty embarrassing, and uh, maybe uh, maybe everything everywhere is not the magical film that uh, you all believe it is. I think it's a shame. Maybe uh, it's. I think it's a shame that that online would pile on to a thirty something year old man bawling crying because his parents didn't like the movie he liked. Uh, you know, I mean, we've all yeah. been there. You know, you're you're in your late 30s you see a movie you like you want to show your dad and hope he likes it too and then he he came back from happy hour and he fell asleep instead i mean his parents went to happy hour he That's didn't right. 
which that's again, right. is even that's right oh. that's right that so that's one thing i think that was him trying to justify why maybe they didn't like it is because they were tired from happy hour he should have gone to happy hour uh, yeah and then also at the very end he summed it all with i guess my dad just doesn't appreciate cinema anymore mike drop that's uh, i uh... <laughs> it, it is it's real tough stuff i mean this is again where this is uh, jake is dancing around it we here at optimism vaccine we dance around nothing this is uh one matt neglia uh one of ov's twitter all-stars uh <laughs> we we don't feature uh, these segments quite as often as we we once did uh but you know what would anyone even use twitter uh if it weren't for the presence of, of such luminaries as matt neglia and film crit hulk and uh, david ehrlich yeah, so the the status of Twitter's future has been sort of up in the air. It's really kind of come back down to earth, I would think. But the last two weeks, especially, people were like, oh, my God, we got to get on Mastodon. No, wait, screw that. Let's get on Hive. Guys, this the this shutdown is imminent. Everyone post your nudes, please. And and like, I'm just acting like, oh, this is the same old website. I don't think it's going anywhere. It hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, and I'm just going to continue to enjoy it because I think the chaos of is fun. I think Elon's moronic purchase is paying off dividends in that regard. And also, yeah, where, where else am I going to see these great moments and share them with others on, you know, on a day of America's best holiday where we can all gather and join and be thankful for Twitter and the, and the I, treasures I that it provides. I the day that I'm going to have to fucking follow Nagley on Letterboxd just to find out what he thinks. So Twitter's <laughs> great because it, it just comes to he's, me. He's, blo- he's blocked me on all <laughs> platforms. I can't follow him. Oh, man. How are you going to know what's going to win next picture, pi- next, next best picture, Jake? How, how are you dealing with uh, that? I got... To be uh, fair, I, I am ways. blocked by the awards so ace, Eric something or other, after I made fun of him. So I'm also, <laughs> I'm losing out on awards yeah. info on a daily basis it's it's hard it's rough that we're even able to talk about these movies that are coming up because i mean how do we know what's what's gonna win a statue it it takes a a lot to go out there into the film world and think that the best and most important thing to focus all of your energy onto is what are the oscar chances a film has after you see it and then to follow those same core group of films for seven months and talk about everything that they're gonna win and then watch and celebrate as fucking Coda gets best picture and pat yourself on the back as a job well done for predicting everything of this subset of I'm just going to say is the worst part of movies is the awards. So there's so much gets unnoticed and unrecognized that it's uh, it's just embarrassing to watch these people operate. And I will continue to do so from my own uh alt distance. certainly certainly i i yesterday i watched tar which is a fantastic film wonderful really enjoyed it and i i have to say the thought occurred to me watching i was like Kay blanchett surely must be in with you know an oscar nomination here she's fantastic in the film and that's and i thought yeah. that thought occurred to me and i didn't write it down anywhere and i didn't put it on on the <laughs> internet <laughs> you didn't you didn't make update your top ten list of I best didn't. actress nominees and their chances. So of you know, and, and maybe she will. She should, I think. Maybe she'll even win. Who knows? Who could possibly give a shit? And uh, and that's an incredible thing. So go watch that movie. Yeah, that's not to say, viewers, that you know, it's good films have won Oscars before, and good performers and good creators and good artists have been recognized for their work. 
the issue is that most of what gets championed and paraded throughout the years is just like a homogenous slop that I have no interest in. And like, like who the fuck wants to talk about Coda for seven <laughs> well, there, months? There's that. Like, I think that movie premiered at Sundance. That's like, and then the Oscars are 14 months later. Who, who is like, oh, this, we need to talk about, fucking talk about RRR or some awesome shit like that. If that wins Best Picture, I'll be goddamn Well, you know, happy. I mean, it comes down to as well. It's like, Tar, uh, it was very good. And if Kate Blanchett doesn't get, uh, doesn't win an award, and if it doesn't even get nominated, it'll still be a great movie and everyone should still just go and watch it. And I think people who are actually interested in movies and what movies do would be more driven by that yeah. than the trophy cabinet before and after snapshot. But you know, what, what do I know? Matt Naglia seems to be able to do this professionally. I don't know. He's at industry parties. He's able to take selfies with him and the back of famous people. Uh, you know, it's, it's an incredible little over the shot. Like, look who's standing behind me. Photos are wonderful. Um, I, I don't get to, I wouldn't do it if I were there, but I, I'm not even in the room able to stand next to these people. So, you know, maybe he's, he's living the dream for playtime. I mean, like I say, I know, no ill yeah. will. I just, I don't understand it at all. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't hate him. I just think he's a joke and I enjoy laughing at him. That's my stance. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. That That's a, a very fair stance. I, I will uh, just counter by saying that uh, our approach is obviously inferior and uh, we're, we, we're uh, not invited to any sort of industry uh, insider parties. We have, we have no credentials. We have, uh, no money uh, for for our thoughts on film. So, you know, maybe we're wrong. And, and this guy's got it all figured out. And the key to approaching film is to foist it upon uh, your loved ones like a 19-year-old would some prized mixtape. <laughs> to uh, be fair, I've done my part and I tried to make our Oscar episodes as unlistenable as possible. Um, and, you know, I can continue to do that through <laughs> subsequent years yeah. if you want me to. <laughs> this is fair. Uh, a key word there is episode, <laughs> since we had to split a, a single Oscar episode into three separate you episodes. Have asked me to you just, were, you just asked me to tone it down a little. I watched a lot of Oscar nominees. I had some thoughts. We got through it. It was, you know, it was one for the books. We watched We watched every goddamn nominee. Yeah, we film. didn't do that we afterwards. Were, uh, it's just... That was a mistake. Jeez. Yes, we learned our oh, lesson, man. Neglia. <laughs> yes, Anyways. we are so detached from Oscar coverage that the last two years we've we've just done joke episodes <laughs> and uh, and when Coda won the Best Picture, I legitimately said to myself, "What the fuck is that?" Like I've never <laughs> heard of that Adam movie. In my joins life. <laughs> you with uh, pretty much every God fearing American in the world. It's just no one knows what that movie is, but. <laughs> if you buy an iPhone, you run an increased chance you might end up seeing an ad for it, you know, when it, when you get an email telling you you've got a free trial period for whatever Apple Plus is. So, uh, yeah, so let's pivot to, other, to part two of this, right? Where, yeah. uh, Jake, your industry cred, what, what little you do have, which is more than the rest of us, uh, now it's, it's just, it's in danger. It's gone in the snap of a finger because you've, you've really kicked the hornet's nest here. Uh, as we get into the first movie we're going to cover, which is a very low-budget experimental horror film that I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, this does not have 
earnings potential. This is not, uh, it's not going to be paranormal activity. This is, is very much an art house film. It's going to struggle to find eyeballs. Uh, maybe some alternative ways to get eyes on it would be a, a great boon to the film. But uh, yeah. those are just one man's thoughts. And, uh, you know, some people on Twitter might have other thoughts. So let's uh, kick it over to you once again. <laughs> Well, I mean, just also to say, and those who do eventually get their eyes on it, I think like you mentioned to us in the chat, about 99% of the world's population would not like this movie at all if they sat down and watched it. Um, should should the audience, should it reach out to an audience that wide? Um, but anyways, we'll, we'll mention, I mean, it's in our episode description and or title, whatever we call this. We're talking about Skinamarink. It's a new horror film. Um, it has... Played at a few film festivals, and it also has found some circulation online, if you know where to look. And uh, I thought I would maybe mm, lend out a helping hand to those who are interested in watching it, because there is no imminent release or VOD strategy or any any sort of... There's no plan for this film that I can tell. Uh, people have thrown out 2023. I don't know, you know if that's true or not. Um, I don't even know how it got online. Uh, uh, again, the fault is not mine. I just thought I would, I saw this film. I had a very positive reaction to it. I thought I would help shine the beacon on Skinamarink. And a lot of people reached out and DM'd me, how do you watch this film? And then I politely guided them in the right direction. Uh, somebody took that post, a screenshot of it, and they tagged Film Inquiry, the website I write for. It's where I'm a Rotten Tomatoes approved critic via that website. And they said that I am seemingly... Uh, allowing piracy to happen by sharing and distributing a film that has not yet had an official release. And a few people liked that tweet and got on board. And uh, a lot more people actually rallied against that tweet and said, uh, what Jake is doing is actually helping because this film is getting now more coverage than it ever would have. And you're talking about something that's not a problem at all. And I think the tide has kind of shifted in my favor in terms of uh, this controversy uh, but yeah, for a while it seemed like I was the bad guy, and now I feel like a hero. It's it's a uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a difficult too. topic Thank for you. this one because it does have distribution from Bayside Media or something or Bayside Entertainment, who I've never heard of. Uh, looking at their what's that say about uh, something or? like that? Perhaps is Bayside <laughs> Bayview something? It's very generic. I've never heard of them. It's they have they have six hundred followers right. on Twitter. If if we want to just talk numbers, which is a, a fraction of what Jack and I have. Uh, yeah, fewer than the optimism vaccine right. Twitter yeah. account. We'll say that. So, yeah. so and I guess I guess if we're going to just talk about this Twitter beef, I'm I should probably put my own personal stance on the record. Uh, I I loved Skinamarink. Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to champion the support and release of this film. Um, if you are interested in seeing it, uh, let me know. Maybe I can help you. I am not going to share a link publicly to download it. Uh, I would never do such a thing. I have not done such a thing. And I will certainly buy a physical media release of this film should one ever come to fruition. And I will absolutely try to attend a screening of it because I know that will be the first experience for a lot of people. And I think this film would absolutely terrify me in the movie theater as it's already terrified me in the comfort of my own home. So I am very much pro Skinamarink and I, with all respect to the director, I want to see this film flourish. I am not trying to steal anything. I'm just trying to champion movies as I am known to do. Right, and and you know this this film is, I mean, checking the distributor. A lot of their stuff is on Tubi, 
And I love Tubi. We love Tubi. Tubi is like the the optimism vaccine kind of like icon. You know, it's like it's, our it's like our fail safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, if you need to watch something, it's likely on. It's Tubi. a running joke for every dumb movie we pick for this thing. It's the first place we check is Tubi, and like seventy five percent of the time, it's on there already. No offense to Tubi, but I really hope this movie doesn't just end up on Tubi. I really hope it get something more but i to as we'll discuss i i do wonder if this thing can sustain film audiences because this is a really obtuse kind of like niche horror experience uh, i think you know a certain branch of horror filmmakers or horror fans are absolutely gonna they're gonna gravitate to this they're gonna love it because it's fantastic it's really tremendous film and experience but you know for a lot of for for average people people would say they like horror uh when, once they realize after the first 10 minutes of this that this movie barely has a human being in frame for the entirety of its runtime of an hour and 40 minutes they're just gonna try to shut it off they're, they're, they're not gonna get on board because this is a, a non-traditional film and, you know, so th it faces problems. I think word of mouth is going to be key to getting anyone to sit through this film or, you know, to turn it on, to get get to know, to look for it, to find it. Uh, if, if it comes to a cinema, I'm 100% behind going to see it. Absolutely. I don't know what the heck cinema is going to play it. Uh, might, you know, some of the independents around Chicago might do, I'd say, maybe one-off screenings here and there might be a possibility. But, like, this thing's not going to a multiplex. Uh, is it going to get a disc release? I have no idea. I hope so. I'll buy it the second it comes out, but I I don't know. Uh, I think this might be, you know, in terms of stealing from the distributor, I have a feeling this thing's going to end up on a free streaming set network in, you know, six months anyway. So, you know, and I again, I respect the, you know, it's got to it's got to come out some way. And, I, you know, I'll take my chances to give it money, certainly, and support it. I think this film absolutely deserves support. But, you know, I think, honestly, at this point, people need to know about Skinnering. And this podcast is an effort to get that out there, you know, to, to look for this film, be aware of it. And I don't know that that's going to happen because I looked again. I looked at the distributor's website. I haven't heard of any of their other films. Yeah, yeah, and again, we don't have the world's largest platform, but inexplicably, we do have a larger platform than this distributor. And without this leaked copy, none of us would have seen this film. There would be no podcast, which will hopefully help to shed some light on this film. Uh, there's there's a complex discussion that could be had here, but, uh, you know, in general... Uh, separate this from Jake. Jake is a, a, a good boy working for Film Inquiry, and uh, you know these are the thoughts of one Adam Myros. Uh, piracy can be super beneficial for a film of this nature because even if this does end up on Tubi, perhaps the greatest tragedy of that is that the person who's browsing Tubi in the horror section and stumbles upon this is not going to grant you positive word of mouth. Almost certain. It's it's almost a virtual impossibility. What this needs is something more boutique. Like, you know, I, I would hope that they would be contacting Shudder or something like that, where there might be a more specialized audience that understands what this film is and is aiming for. Um, if it goes to a service like Tubi, and again, God bless Tubi, but also God bless piracy. Uh, there is... No chance that, that that's going to end well for the film, I would suggest. And that is, it is a shame. But I, I think that for me, the great takeaway is 
there are ways to behave uh, in situations like this. We we don't to to just take this stance of like, hey, piracy's bad, and then go after. Again, is Jake's employer film inquiry? No, this is 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 largely a hobbyist field. Uh, there are certain benefits, uh, but you know the person who's attacking you online probably perceives that they are. You know, they're going, "Oh, this guy's a a film writer. He's he's getting paid to write about film, and all he's doing is undercutting the little guy." And and to me, it's like. A, that's complete bullshit. If you have a problem, especially as this person alluded that they had spoken with the filmmaker and there was a preference indicated that this not be shared, again, if if that is the case, and, and any of us or any reasonable person online who was contacted by someone representing the director would would do everything in their power to honor that director's wishes you know that regardless of of one's thoughts on the benefits of piracy but to to approach it like this and and try and rile up some sort of pitchfork mob is just goddamn ridiculous and uh people participating in that sort of shit should be ashamed to, of to be fair i think it is yeah. it is quite funny how little of a mob formed <laughs> really really yeah. really bad showing on that front yeah, my mob was bigger. Um, but also, just just for anyone listening, uh, leave Film and Corey out of this, all right? They only yeah. uh, tweeted at them because they saw them in my bio on Twitter. Uh, I did not tweet anything about Skinamarink from Film and Corey's Twitter account. Uh, and also, I did not write a review for the website. Uh, my actions are my own, and they do not represent Film and Corey's beliefs or, or what have you. And then also, yeah, the fact that I am supposedly targeted as a means to uh i i guess they wanted to take away my well-being or my my means of 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 eating or just reviewing movies i don't know uh yeah but leave them out of it come come at me you cowards yeah i mean it's and i'll happily yeah, talk to you uh, or you can you can always come at optimism vaccine because well That's his actions thing. may not represent uh, film inquiry uh we we 100 percent support all actions taken by jake trapila on twitter and uh they reflect our own views <laughs> uh yeah also uh, optimism vaccine is also in my twitter bio uh not a single uh, tweet went out to us there saying hey you're one of your people is doing this frankly, frankly so, i'm insulted uh, by that i mean that's, that's <laughs> come on We'd scold Jake. Yeah, we, we'd do an episode where we scold Jake if we thought it would be funny. We'd 100% do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, very true. That, that's a fruitful avenue. Uh, Twitter scolds, please. <laughs> send, your, send your admonishments our way, and uh, I'm sure it will yield the result you're hoping for. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about this here, Skin of a Rink. Um, yeah. I. I, I'm still trying to figure out why in the hell it's titled this, and I, I'm the uh, I wish Steve were here because he's the, the only one who probably wouldn't be looking at me like I'm a lunatic when I'm like, well, this is like a fucking thing. It was a kids' show. Like I, I understand the provenance is older than that, but what what it's known for for really anyone, I would say between the ages of 30 and 40 well maybe maybe even a little more narrow than that uh but was a canadian kids show that used this as an outro uh called the elephant show it was a song skinamarink that was like it was from a musical it had a brief shelf life you know in the early to mid 20th century uh but 
yeah, it, it became co-opted by this kids show, The Elephant Show, uh, that was huge in Canada, and also, as with all kids programming that was huge in Canada, was co-opted by early Nickelodeon and ubiquitously aired uh, during the day. So it's some that's I was totally like immediately you hear the word skinamarink and I'm singing that fucking skinamarinky dinky dink skinamarinky do, and that's not a song that's in the movie, uh, but uh, it, it feels like it has to have some connection for the director as far as like linking it to that childhood. I mean, element. it's a, it's a, it's just a childhood nursery rhyme. And there are two main figures in the film are small children about ages. I don't know, four and five, I would guess. But, um, I've never heard of this show that this theme song comes from. I've, but I have always known of the skinamarink little childhood nursery rhyme. Skinamarink a rinky ding, skinamarink a do. I love you. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's just the it's the child connection is is likely the the cause of the title. And I'm quite frankly, I'm, I'm happy that the the nursery theme is not sung in the film. because I think <laughs> well, it's it a Canadian like, film, too. So yeah. that that further cements my uh, firm belief that this is in some way referencing the fucking yeah, I, elephant I would imagine, show. But I would imagine anyway, the issue yeah. here being that probably the song and the elephant show are not in public domain, uh, whereas the, the movie's yeah. opening credits note that all media depicted yeah. is in the public domain and has no copyright claim, uh, and that, that yeah. seems to be... The, well, this is the price point we're talking about for this film. Uh, you know, it's using old mm -hmm. cartoons, uh, old animation being played on TVs in the background. It's these two children have a essentially an unfolding nightmare in their home, uh, I think the Skinamarink element, yeah, just ties in. I mean, this is very much like if we had to describe this film overall. I mean, it's kind of it's a it's a subjective horror film from a child's perspective, um, and you and in that function, it's it's a very odd, unusual film. It doesn't do that in the most literal sense you would think, um, but yeah, I, I think it's just it's childhood things, it's toys. I mean, most of this film is shots of abstract shots of of children's toys of of old animation not necessarily children's shows although i guess all of us growing up probably saw a fair amount of old animation just because that's how the financial elements of tv work and you know you can't always show the newest things because that costs too much money so we always had like old looney tunes and stuff as filler because you could get it in with you know buy it in with other stuff uh you know it wasn't the newest and the brightest mm -hmm. but honestly if you're five years old five-year-olds don't really know that they just they keep looking anyway so you know i think i think there's that, that kind of tie in there so you know it lets you know something of what to expect although frankly skin marine's not really a film that's easy to explain or brief people on when you go in other than to say that it is it is a very abstract horror experience it's you know it is not people on camera talking uh it's not shot reverse shot it's not even like paranormal activity sustained static you know um security camera or candid camera footage it's not that either it's it's it genuinely feels like one of the the first new iterations in horror of several years that i can think of i mean it's certainly it's it's related to i think the paranormal activity concept you know which which really is an extending uh, kind of a continuation of say the found footage craze of that was kicked off with Blair Witch Project in the late 90s um but it, it's it's mediating that more and creating you know there, there's there's no contention that the footage of this film is made up of is, is you know found footage at all it's it's strange shots of of largely of seams and joins of of uh, walls to ceilings of children's toys of corners of things of like 
you know, the places of, of nooks and crannies. It's it's a very peculiar film. Voices mostly are from characters off screen. There's very brief glimpses of moving humans. You know, so all of this comes together to say, like, this is not, uh, this is, this is a child's nightmare, but parsed through his very unusual film grammar. And I think it works extremely well, but I think also probably the first 10 minutes is gonna, you know, if, if you can't stand the first 10 minutes of this movie, you're done. Like, it, it doesn't change. It's very representative of what's to come. But I think if you get in on its wavelength and you start to realize, you know, the sheer possibility of what you're seeing, the, the fact that there's this very uncertain unsteady progress where you really don't know what's going on that it really feels like a dream um it's really exciting and really quite unnerving and that's where the film's strength lies yeah it, it is very like it is that that child's nightmare like that's if you ask me what this movie is what is happening in the movie i think it's impossible to even like consider anything literal happening in this movie to me it is a, a very direct sort of representation of a dream logic through the the viewpoint of a, a child with limited experience and intimate familiarity with a specific place and how that place can change and become threatening. And it is, it is a really fascinating approach, but it it's not again, certainly for everyone. I, I, I might dispute Jack's assertion slightly in that probably in the first 10 minutes I was, a little out. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I was like, what? what is Jake recommending here? Yeah, Fucking but to fair, you had to watch this, it for a podcast. So <laughs> you come across yeah, this. No, we, yeah, we but, didn't but even. But it did. Th this it podcast is an afterthought. We we all just talked and saw this film and talked about it. And I'm like, hey, maybe we can do an that's, episode That's, on that's it true, here. actually. It came I, in later. But, you know. I, we did. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. We did not plan to do a podcast on this. Actually, something else is on the docket that you guys can look forward to, listeners. But yeah, this this was just totally I watched it first and I was like, hey, you guys need to see this. And uh, both Jack and Adam have watched it. And now here we are. Um, I, I think you could sort of offer a literal explanation as to what happens in the film. But I again, that would mostly just be my interpretation as to how the events unfold. Um, but also, not only is it just a nightmare from a child's point of view, like if I were an adult and this what happens, this film happened to me. I'd be fucking terrified out of my mind. Um, it's it, it, to to describe what happens. So this film has a very like uh, as Jack said, it's got a very unusual look. Um, it's mostly just framed shots of like dark corners of the houses. It's a shot. Kyle Edward Ball is the director. We should say his name. Uh, this is shot in his childhood home. It takes place in 1995. So obviously this has got to be some heavy childhood elements that he's called from it. But yeah, it's these two small children in a house. It's at we're at the middle of the night. The house is illuminated almost exclusively by just TV showing old cartoons that are in the public domain. And the doors and the windows of the house disappear. And at a certain point, the toilet in the house disappears. And we get the sense that a a specter has invaded the house and has done something with the parents and is trying to get the children as well. Uh, and the film is 100 minutes of just the most glacial dread uh, I have sat through in recent memory. I can, I saw this in the comfort of my own home on my nice couch, on my laptop. Everyone in the house was asleep. It was pitch black. I just, just me and this movie with headphones. And I was fucking terrified out of my mind 
watching this. Um, I just the way everything unfolds and how the like the sound design and how like the look of the film with how it's lit and not lit and it, it's it's like the perfect nightmare. I have really never seen something quite yeah, like this. Yeah, it's it's a kind of film that you know. We talk about release strategies, and ultimately, I don't know what the release strategy for this film is, because I think it plays, it feels almost from another time. Uh, like, this is absolutely a film to catch on TV when you can't sleep at 3 a.m., and you, like, catch it midway through, and the next day you wonder if maybe you dreamt it, like, you that you didn't actually see it at all. Um you know, it it's it's got that kind of sense to it. The only thing that I think upends it a little bit, maybe maybe not so much for for modern audiences, is that it's only it's inexplicably in scope, which I thought was kind of an unusual decision. Um, this feels very much like it should be a full screen, like kind of wide or you know tall shot. But anyhow, minor quibble. Um, to talk about like how the film looks, it it was shot with a digital camera, incredibly low light, as Jake says. There's almost no light in this other than reflected light sources off TVs and, and I couldn't like night lights, this incredibly like heavy f uh, kind of digital noise grain over top. A lot of like almost the refresh rate of the TVs and stuff are visible. Like there's this electrical throb through the image. It's very heavily processed image to create this very otherworldly effect. I mean, uh, frankly, probably your closest analog is maybe like Inland Empire in terms of like a lo-fi digital kind of a look to the whole thing uh, but you know uh, you know it, it, and and that kind of is the runoff of this i mean this basically is like it's like the rings nightmare video but running for feature length like it's it's just a peculiar array of objects um so you know in, in terms of like watching at home i think watching at home is actually kind of ideal i, I hope you know gets the cinemas and actually makes some real money but it's going to be you know it's an interesting movie to a picture in a cinema as well and it'll be an interesting movie if it shows up on tubi to have interrupted by commercial breaks um so you know i i don't know exactly i do hope it gets a disc release i think that's probably the best the best way i think this film could be seen is from a small dedicated group of nutcases inflicting it on their f their, their friends and family on disc uh, uninterrupted i think that's probably you know that's the goal ultimately for most horror um so you know we'll, we'll see on that front but it's it's a really fascinating looking film a fascinating sounding film a lot of the dialogue is almost imperceptible there's actually on-screen subtitles burnt into the image capturing some of the dialogue that's so low that it's it's not distinct to you know even the regular audience which creates another interesting element in terms of like the visuals including spoken word details creates again that kind of like dream almost dream logic this kind of strange breaking of film convention you know subtitles are a film convention but not generally built into the film and certainly not because just people can't be heard properly generally you know, if you're putting subtitles into your films because people are speaking different languages or something like that, you know, it's very unusual to integrate them into the film in this format. And it creates this kind of texture of, um, you know, of just of everything being a little off what you're seeing, what you're hearing uh, all seems in in isolation, quite dull. And then, you know, but but it, it ultimately creates this. uh very affecting strange overbearing tense atmosphere uh like really like a dream like kind of everything connects but you're never quite sure where it will connect next where it will go there's no limitation to what might happen next at any point yeah i think 
to me, what I envy about like the possibility of of a theater experience that that certainly will never occur anywhere near where I live, um, is that this is such a difficult film to engage with at times. And like, whereas I I agree entirely that it, it does feel almost like something that would be at home on a on a tube TV, uh, a fuzzy VHS, or a late night screening or something on television. Um, I also just, I, th- I think that maybe I would consider the ideal viewing to be theatrical just because it's a film that you almost need to be forced to watch and actively engage with. Like, it is a very, it's very tempting to, <laughs> to disengage from this film because, A, it's kind of oppressively nothing you know there's a whole lot of nothingness and repetition and beyond that it's also profoundly tense and uncomfortable so there's great temptation when you're watching at home to be like well i'll just minimize this for a while go do something else and come back to it and that kind of breaks the spell you know yeah i gave this just my full undivided attention and um, that works out in the film's favor because there's, I think, one of the most unnerving, if not the most unnerving sequence um, is where the little girl, we assume her point of view, goes up to the parents' bedroom and her parents have seemingly returned. Uh, we don't see them in full. We just sort of see their limbs. They're sitting on opposite ends of the bed. She goes to the father's side and he tells her to come here and then he tells her to look under the bed. And because we are the camera... The camera is, and we, there's already been like 40 minutes of just the most haunting things happening. We are dreading to see what is under the bed. And the camera is just like, just slowly, slowly, slowly creeping to peek underneath the, the bed frame and see what kind of nightmare is under there. And, and it's like, like, I, I was like almost getting my hands ready to cover my eyes because I didn't know what I wanted to see. It's, it's truly a spellbinding work. And I, I, I cannot applaud this director enough for creating something like this. I, I didn't think I would ever see a new movie and get scared by it. And I'm happy to announce that that film now exists. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think in terms of engagement, I mean, it, this certainly is a film I think that's going to find a, a small, but vocal fan base. And I hope it, you know, that's, that's ultimately the goal is for, for it to find that group of people. I don't know if it's never going to make a lot of money. It's not, you know, this isn't going to be breaking. This is even like Terrifier 2, which is, you know, a little off the beaten path, but you can get people into the cinemas. You know, you promise extremity, you promise this and that, you know, this is a, this is building something very detailed and kind of, uh, what would you say? Like kind of, uh, imaginative out of almost nothing but it, it also you know is not a film of jump scares it has certainly one or two that are very effective but you know it's really a film of just an, an ongoing oppressive just uncertainty that you know at any point you're you're not really sure what will happen next uh, you know or, or why it's even happening to begin with or who what the fate of anyone will be we understand these children are at peril which is certainly something that kind of you know can kick into the the base of our our brains and our, our nervous center you know the the concept of, of children in danger fundamentally is very unsettling 
Um, but you know, we we have no real idea of anything, and you know, and the film, like we say, unfolds. You know, it's it's footage of like little bits of Lego, footage of like the corner of of a, a toy. You know, of of just you know uh, of where the ceiling meets the wall. It's it's a film that can't seem to look at anything head on because fundamentally, I guess the point is that we don't know where to look. There's nothing specific to look at. the The jump scares are a few moments of of direct confrontation. Um, but the film mostly is is kind of the kids trying to, I guess, distract themselves to to a degree. They're in this home. They they know that something's wrong. Their their parents are missing. But you know the TV is running. What's on? You know what are they doing? They've got to go get this or that. You know they're they're up in the middle of the night unsupervised. Um, very very peculiar film. Yeah. That's yeah. That's and that's something interesting is that the kids when when all hell breaks loose, the kids sort of try to keep a routine. Like they they deduce that it must be their bedtime, so they go to sleep and then they wake up and they try to have breakfast. Um, but then yeah, the 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 phantom that it keeps popping in audibly at least is sort of beckoning them to some sort of uh, doomed fate. But yeah, the the use of the toys uh, in particular, like I think one of the shots that is circulating is of a, a looks like a Barbie doll that's attached to the ceiling. And um, one of the biggest scares is also like just the the faint eyes. Of like a of like a phone toy with a smiley face on it that pops out at night, um, and then there's this other really great like abstract shot of like at some point something happens to the house and it, it's like there's like this I don't know like the hallway turns into like this portal that's just a, a mess of just a pile of Legos uh, like there's just a lot of fascinating stuff that is 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 put into this this home building and this world building and. And like it also it combines like like two of my deepest fears are like home invasion and just the inexplicable. And this is an, ex an inexplicable home invasion. So this is like the perfect storm of nightmare fuel for myself personally, at least. Yeah. And well, and it's it's dealing exclusively with with things that are familiar to yeah. children and, and that like inexplicably you have these childhood fears where you're like. It is all rooted in the unknown and what you can't see and therefore, you know, can't rationalize and understand and, and kind of your mind paints these pictures of what might be under the bed or what might be in the basement or, uh, yeah, but in just engaging with things like toys and cartoons and how those can kind of become this sort of warped nightmare. It, it, it's just very interesting stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and also if it it just also really preys on that. If we've all had that fear, maybe I I did. I don't know about you guys, but you remember recall having that memories when you're a child. Maybe you're the last one to go to bed. It's the weekend and you're downstairs watching TV. Everyone's already upstairs and tucked in for the night, and you do the thing where you turn the lights off and then you sprint up the stairs because as soon as the shadows come out, so do the phantoms of your home, and you don't want them to grab you. That audience, imagine a movie that is just built on that. Imagine like that shot through the aesthetic of like the the phantom sequences in Inland Empire. And that's that's what you have here. It's it's really yeah. a, a brilliantly it terrifying is, concoction. It is something that even lasts into adulthood, not with the same vibrancy and, you know, persistence as it does in childhood. But there's still you'll still have the occasional night, at least I will, where all of a sudden you're staring in a dark corner and going, it's, it's maybe something in there. And you, you can just kind of spook yourself. <laughs> you can, yeah. your brain can just decide that 
there's something in there. Uh, I don't know, but this, yeah, it, it plays masterfully off of that, that sort of concept. Yeah, and again, like uh, to reiterate, just to say, like this, uh, it's such a, a specific vision. And I believe the the director has made some YouTube short films. Like, this is his debut feature, but I mean, this, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. You know, most hard. Like I can certainly point back. We could, you know, I can say this is, you know, feels you know, like another, the next generation off of, say, Paranormal Activity, off of Blair Witch, off of Ghost Watch, off of Cannibal Holocaust, or whatever, you know, you could trace a lineage back, but this feels like a new generation, like one of the first horror films I've seen that has a genuine new vocabulary, has a new perspective, uh, which is really rare and exciting, um, and I, you know, and I don't know if there's a lot of mileage in what this film is doing, but I think that will mark this out as a really unique film experience for the people who are looking, you know, for the horror fans looking for their fix. This is something that they have to seek out. This feels like, even if it doesn't, you know, flourish into a kind of a subgenre particularly, uh, this feels like something adjacent to the familiar that's just got its own kind of details flourishing. And even and even if it's just Skinnamarink, that's, you know, this is going to be something I think that, I you know, I hope... People are passing around for for years to come and recommending, and ten years from now, people are like, do you remember this film? You know, have you have you seen this? What the hell was this? You know. See, I can tell you a path forward here for this movie. I think a way to get an audience because, again, if if you try and market this to the people who are going to see Terrifier two or Smile in the fucking theater, you're gonna have a bad right. time. Um. But there is an element of this that exists online. There are a couple of, you know, you could say short film, uh, the ARG sort of things that that have sprouted up over recent years. Uh, one being what's known as analog horror, which deals a lot with uh, aesthetics of over-the-air television and uses it to uh, to build out worlds and. Again, it's the internet. There, there are a thousand terrible iterations of this concept, but where it began and where it really excels, uh, it's pretty fantastic stuff. Uh, there's like a, a series called Local Fifty Eight that is is really wonderful, um, and I think it is kind of a cousin to this. And another thing that is more recent, even online, that is a, a major phenomenon right now is there's a it's almost like an effects test video called the back rooms, but it, it deals with this idea of familiar and liminal spaces. This, this idea of making uh, the boring and the familiar sort of twisting it and warping it and making it uncomfortable. And and these are both things that have a, a surprisingly large following online. And, if you market this in in such a way, I'm I'm not uh, an expert on such things that that you can bring in this audience that these are the people who are going to dig this movie because this deals with really similar things in a, in a very fantastic and interesting. Yeah, way. It, it absolutely. I you know, and I think that's probably true that the war this has grown and the testing around absolutely was online short films rather than any kind of a commercially distributed feature film network. Um, it feels like then the next uh, kind of iteration on from even, say, Jane Schoenbrum's uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair, which came out, I guess, was, was in festivals last year, came out this year as well, which I think is another fantastic horror film. Um, 
more tr more found footage ish than this you know presents itself as a series of webcam conversations so in a sense it fits more with say unfriended uh, for example and that kind of desktop movie um but but in th the same vein as this is a film in where very little happens that's explicitly wrong or scary particularly it's a film that exists in that liminal space where we're not quite sure why we're watching the things we're watching and will people you know within that film report feelings of, of illnesses or unwellness uh you know there, there's no there's no direct feedback to the audience to communicate that it's real whether it's you know a, a psychosis or a, a symptom or or an actual curse spreading um this this film is kind of like that, but again, like I say, just with the, with the very you know even more microscopic worldview, and you know it kind of it zooms in onto the instead of looking at people and webcams, we're looking at like the things in the background of their room, but only a portion even of that. It's uh, a a new kind of a, a microcosm experiment, and yeah, I I think the problem with it will always be is kind of like these kind of things grew up on the internet and i think they grew up on the internet largely because for a while at least the internet was kind of the wild west and there was it was very difficult to you know kind of like the vhs boom that kind of kicked off ring and um and blair witch you know you find a videotape with no labels on it you have no idea of its provenance uh, to the same degree that you know in the early days of video sharing on the internet you had no idea what you were gonna find and it might be you know a sex tape or a beheading or you know whatever uh, or you know dog videos mr Hands, yeah you know something yeah, you could, good mr. you know Hands, absolutely yeah. could be anything and it could be faked or it could be real you'd never be quite sure um you know, and these things all around. I don't know, Jack. Have you seen Mr. Hands? I was pretty sure. It yeah, was no, I, you know what? I, I, I knew about Mr. Hands and I had opportunities to watch it and I never did. But I've seen seen other things uh, and, you know, most of them you could tell. But, you know, there, there was like a growing and there still is to some degree, you know, kind of almost humorously. But, you know, you have this view it's like, oh, real ghost footage. You know, half the shit is either nothing or it's clearly fake but you know there, there's this unknowable element to it particularly once you know you you pretend you're in another country or whatever you know to create those kind of cultural gaps that that kind of alienate your your actual target audience from it you know a little more and make things uncertain they're like may who knows what's happening you know um it, it certainly has that lineage with that but of course the problem is is that a lot of that file sharing and video sharing was done on a, you know, a very specifically amateur enthusiast hobbyist level on the internet. It was, it's very difficult to harness that in terms of money, you know, and YouTube has tons and tons of this shit with ads and, you know, reply in the comments and stuff, but you know, it, it this, this won't work in quite the same way or, you know, because clearly this is an actual feature film and has credits and things, um, you know, and it's, it's difficult to disseminate that in the same way. It doesn't make it any less interesting or effective, I think as a horror film, but it is framed as fiction from the get go. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And I, I really do hope that people, you know, if nothing else, have the opportunity to see this, have the opportunity to make up their mind on this one. Also, just to circle back on, uh, this film being shared around, apparently a lot of people on TikTok were, uh, uh, spreading the rumor that this film was available online. Uh, I don't have a TikTok account, so, uh, uh checkmate cops. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what sure happens on TikTok. Check. TikTok is an even wilder west than this movie, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not setting foot on TikTok. I'll just go to Skinnamarink again. 
As I understand, people just dance. <laughs> that seems to be the main seems thing. to be a thing. Yeah, uh, but yeah. should we should we mention Jack? You watched a film that uh, is maybe tangentially related to Skin and Marine. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is we wanted to do. Make this uh, after last week's debacle of trying to stretch you an hour. I was like, "Well, let's get a second movie in here." And Jack's like, "Oh, I got one." Yeah, yeah. He's and, one. and Jack, what what the hell does this movie have to well, do? Well, this is the thing because I mean, I was talking about lack of um, lack of of antecedents antecedents to to uh, Skinamarink cinematically. But there was one film that it really did remind me of, and that was Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural, which is a film I saw a decade plus ago, uh, probably on DVD. Um, and and I, I told you guys, it has nothing to do with the movie in terms of like its detail and its structure. Uh, this is a much, it's a much more traditional film, but it's a very peculiar film still. Uh, what it reminded me though of, I guess, uh, overwhelmingly suppose is the fact that it is it is again a kind of a child's subjective horror story but i think more in terms of metatextually what linked these two films for me and i and i really like lamora i think it's a really interesting very peculiar independent american horror movie from i think 1971 um that really plays like or sorry 73 i think um and plays like yeah, if, if you had to if you had to sum it up, I mean, like we did beforehand. It's basically uh, Valerie and her weeks of one, week of wonders, but Southern fried. It's a very like that's that's the movie. It's like the the deep South version, although it was shot in California to add to the weird uh, American mix-ups of it. But um, in terms of like the metatextual element, to me, what struck me about this film is that Lamora, being from the seventies, that really interesting period in American horror where horror concepts and a genre had not yet kind of fixed into the very neat categories of 80s horror you know where you had your slashers and you had your monster movies and you had you know vampires werewolves you know very very specific sleek molds uh you know that each film could be slotted into the 70s was much more free for all we had the collapse of obviously studio dominance specifically grindhouse rise independent cinema genre cinema was was exploding and with that really came the question of you know hey we can show nudity and violence now so and you know we definitely we want to do that people want to see that but what movies does that go into and, you know, it created, frankly, maybe, uh, you know, America's greatest decade of horror in terms of just absolutely peculiar films that would never have been made in the 80s and never would have been saleable. Stuff like Let's Scare Jessica to Death or The Witch Who Came In From The Sea, you know, films that would be utterly, utterly foreign to, to the press office of a 1980s studio. Lamora is very much in that mode as well. It's... um. Like I say, it's about a 13-year-old girl who's kind of lured into this kind of weird town of vampires where uh, Lamora, the vampire, is trying to uh, bring her in and, and make her a vampire. I say, have sex with her. Something to re- I mean, yeah, I mean, cynically, you can honestly, like, creepily look at this film as basically, it's it's a movie about how 30, if 13-year-olds knew how sexy they were, they could corrupt the whole world. Like, that's not an entirely unfair reading of the film, which is a little weird. Uh, the actress playing the 13-year-old is 18, so I guess they cleared themselves there. 
which is more than you could say about Valerie in her week of wonders. But anyhow, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it, but but anyhow, I, getting back to it, rather than beating around the bush, I would say what what links the two films for me. Firstly, is a child's view, a subjective element of that. It's a child wandering into a world they don't fully understand and trying to feel their way out of and kind of like work out what expected of them. And secondly, that in in Lamora being from that seventies period. It, its genre trappings are very confusing. I, when I first saw it, I had no idea what this film was capable of. I had no idea what would happen in any scene from one scene to the next. I had no idea of that. I had no way of knowing because Lamora is not a film like anything else. I mean, even to say like it's like Valerie in her Week of Wonders is like that's a really singular odd film. You know, you couldn't build an industry off of movies like fucking Czech surrealist horror. It's not, uh, that, that's not a workable thing. Um, and so Skinnamarink is a similar thing. It's a film that I don't know what it's capable of. Both of them kind of to a degree remind me almost to go back to say, m- one of my favorite not horror horror films, uh, Tarkovsky's Solaris, as a film that's just full of like long pans of empty rooms but you're never quite sure what will happen anything could happen while the camera's trained on something and there's this real terrifying potentiality in the film that it may choose to indulge or not but it's it's just there you're trapped with it both these films have that and i think it's a really unique and really um really impressive quality to you know in a sense that like a slasher movie can't have that you know exactly what's going to happen in a slasher movie, even if you've never seen it before, even if the kills are unusual, you know there's kills, it's, that's what the film is. When a zombie movie, you know what's going to happen. They all have that shape. Skinnamarink does not have a defined shape. Lamora, Child's Tale of the Supernatural, does not have a defined shape, even though, you know, it fits in with some kind of gothic tendencies a little. Uh, certainly with like the work of like Le Fanu, Sheridan Le Fanu and his his, you know, kind of like tales of, of elderly vampires and horror and so on that, you know, have been very influential in stuff like say Dreyer's vampire vampire and stuff like that, which is another uh incredibly unique odd film so i suppose that was that was why the films reminded me of each other or why this was the only other film that while i was watching skinnamarink was going like yeah i i don't feel like this very often when i'm watching a film and that's a shame um but you know we're always trying to build our vocabulary and that's why i think this is why i would recommend watch lamora i it's it's a weird one Uh, it's a very strange film well, it did get me in the mind of the Czech stuff, because I'm like, you know, I don't entirely grasp why Jack has, has suggested this. If he was going to suggest this, why didn't he just suggest Valerie in her Week of Wonders? Because that would be an interesting pairing. I suppose uh, because this is, yep. a, a, because I, a, to a degree, Valerie in her Week of Wonders has a national context. It, you know, the, it, Valerie in her Week of Wonders does, yeah. makes a lot more sense for the perspective of Czech cinema than Lamora does, in a sense. That that would be why I would go to it, first and foremost. Or something like, it also, well, it did immediately pull me in on that front, so, so good work, where I was like, okay, I could see why Valerie would be an interesting pairing with, with Skinnamarink, as well as, I think Svankmeyer is, is an interesting touch sure. point, too. Something like yes. Alice. Like, yeah, I, I think, yeah. Um, which, yeah, 
that that is all t- if you're into that sort of thing then you might be uh it might be easier to point you <laughs> to watching skin and Rick, i'll say but lamora for me i don't know this is a really strange film i i i like about half of it and then the back half i was like okay well this person they cast as lamora is not pulling off these big monologues at all <laughs> and uh yeah, then the movie just kind of like breaks in at the end where there's this really symbolic scene with this this church uh, congregation and it, it's really powerful. And then for some reason it just overlays like some ghoul just explaining, shouting this the themes of the film <laughs> over top of everything. And I'm like, yep, this is some ropey I shit. Certainly. I mean, this came, the, Lamora 100% has the feeling of this came from one guy and his mind, and he decided he was going to make a movie. And, you know, I don't know if he made any other movies. He also plays the the preacher in the film, which is certainly the most uh, dubious uh, kind of relationship, because essentially it is, in large part, a film about a 13-year-old girl going out in the world, and everyone's telling her how pretty she is. And it's, you know, it's very, very creepy up to a point where the preacher seems to be also like, possibly you know who took her in because her father's a gangster and her father had to run he had to go on the run after killing her mother because she was cheating on him so he had to go on the run but so so he couldn't raise his daughter anymore so she had to stay with this preacher and there's this very peculiar ambivalent kind of thing of whether the preacher has sexual designs on the girl maybe you know down the line you know because she won't be 13 forever um it's very, I don't know what the politics of the film are on that level, and I think to to a degree, like, certainly there's this is a very strong conservative uh, kind of uh, streak through the film in terms of its views of female sexuality as potentially corrupting and is in, inherent in children and so on in a way that, like, you know, like, young girls are sexy inherently, and it's not because men have, you know, any problems or men are thinking of anything, even though that's 100% what's actually happening. Um, you know, but the film, it's a product of its time, it's a product of a place, um, but there's just a very confusing confluence of elements in it. And, you know, large sections of it look like it was, you know, thrown together by a high school drama department, but, you know... You know, I think yeah. for for the optim- optimism vaccine crowd, this is <laughs> that that's by no means a stumbling block uh, to enjoying or, or yeah, finding yeah. things in this film to to be interested in. It's also like seventy percent uh, day for night. Oh yeah, Jesus, yes, uh, an enormous yeah. amount of, of that, <laughs> which is uh, again, I you know, the seventies was was like yeah, and not just day for night, really bad day for night shot in california the eternal sunshine state so uh, <laughs> just, you know well apparently this guy richard blackburn his main other like credit that is he co-wrote eating raul and has a role right, in that yes. as well so, so yeah so he um, which is another big cult hit i'd forgotten that i so yeah. so he's in that and yeah i know he's acting credits he's he, i think he's more acting credits than than behind the camera um so yeah, you know, I suppose is to say we, we wanted to make sure we had some stuff, some fodder to discuss. I think this is a, a maybe a tricky film to bring in anywhere else unless we do the Valerie in our Week of Wonders cast. Uh, you know, this, this is a <laughs> weird one to bring up, but you know, it, it, I think there is an overlap metatextually with Skinner Uh in some in some degree. I think you're also correct. Like certainly, 
Svankmayer is, is, I think, interesting. Like, Skinamarink is a film that genuinely at times feels like stop motion because it yeah. focuses in on small details of inanimate objects and it, it doesn't capture animating forces since people are largely off the screen. There's very few, you know, you very rarely get a full grasp of what's happening, which means things move without you seeing why they're moving. And although you can understand why, and it's not done as stop motion, it, it does peculiarly uh, kind of recreate that, uh, that kind of sense of uh, suspension of disbelief of, of stop motion, of, of things just moving of their own accord. Uh, a very unnerving element. I think that's that's fundamentally what Skinnerink has. It, it 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 is, it is a film that kind of like remove that that uh, that dwells in the normal, uh, but but removes the the all the things that make it all kind of seem normal. It it renders everything peculiar and alien and unsettling, um, and does so kind of very well for a hundred minutes, which is not something I've seen before. You know, and, and I could see this hundred percent. Like I've seen. You know, on YouTube, you see things that are like, you know, four or five minutes short films. But this is expanding something much larger. And it's really, really interesting and impressive that I think it works, frankly. Even as much as I, I turned to, to Holly after I watched this and I was like, well, most people who see that movie are going to hate you. Like, if you show that movie to most people, they would hate you. And I think that was partially towards because I'm not sure Holly was as taken with the film as I was. So, um, you know, but whatever. That's that's what marriage life is like, you know. Well, I think if nothing else, it's, it's a fascinating application of some genuinely new horror concepts that are, are being burst online yeah. and, and translated into feature length. And that's exciting because th there's a lot of places this stuff could go. And as for Lamora. Yeah, I, it's worth watching. It's it's just another of these. I I, I say well worn. It's not that well worn, but it it was a more common in the various new waves. That it's a horror movie about a young girl discovering her sexuality and the power and the danger that accompanies that. And I'm sure you've seen something with similar themes uh, if you're listening to this podcast. But it's another one, and it's. A pretty fun one, so. and it's also it's 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 also interesting in terms of that it's a, it's a regional American horror movie, but from the wrong region, but still in that sense, <laughs> like it's a southern movie made in California, which means it's not really a southern movie, but it's still like a, a regional Californian movie, if that makes sense. So it's still it's still somehow uh, in that mode, uh, which I think is inherently interesting. That that kind of like outside the system filmmaking really lends kind of a, a, a texture to it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's made it a Blu-ray. I think Synapse maybe put it out on DVD years and years ago, and it, it certainly has a cult audience. I know I've seen a few on, you know, over the years, a few people calling for it to get re-released or brought back out into, the, into you know, onto the, the disc market. Um, but but it's, it's not, you know, I, I don't know if it's streaming online anywhere. I didn't find it. I think we had to procure a file online because I unfortunately do not have the Synapse disc. Um, so what you're saying is you don't support filmmakers. I don't support filmmakers. I hate them. They scare me in my own home, Adam. And it's disgraceful. Huh. Weird how a film that old could still be unavailable for consumers. Strange. Makes you think. <laughs> yeah. Huh. How about that? Uh, well, let's wrap this up and, and get to putovers. Um, I, I'm, I'll just start it off, because uh, what the hey. I, I think we all this week watched uh, 
triangle of sadness independently, and I'm probably the only one who'll be putting it over, because uh, it seems like it, it's a divisive one, this. Um, I'm really taken with Oslin, and I like everything I've seen from him. Uh, this is not on the same level to me as his prior two films, but... I don't know. It, it's still a blast, I, I think. It's a little heavy-handed. I mean, you could probably throw that critique at most of his work, frankly. He's not a an overly subtle filmmaker, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, th- this does have a structure that can be challenging because it really vacillates in tone and uh, loses substantial momentum uh, at a certain stage. But um, I don't know. It never lost me. I'll say that. And, you know. There's this whole sequence with Woody Harrelson and the the guy from Pusher just like debating the merits of capitalism and and socialism over a loudspeaker while a bunch of uh, rich fucks like poop their pants and uh, yeah that's what I want in my movies so a triangle of sadness it's it's good don't listen to these fools. Uh, Jack, I know you hate this movie, so, uh, pick something okay, better. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I've, I've liked his last two, but I wasn't a huge fan of this one, but they definitely, you know, it's not terrible. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the opportunity, sadly, uh, just yesterday is the day of recording, we've heard of Albert Pune's passing, uh, as anyone who follows us know, Optimism Vaccine are... Big, big Albert Pune fan. He's, he was a wonderful filmmaker. He Every movie was a big swing. Sometimes he'd hit, sometimes he'd miss, sometimes he'd hit in a way you'd never seen before. Uh, that was that was what his, his films were all about. So very sad that he, he has passed on too young with several projects still outstanding. To that end, I am just going to say that I have Tubi up. Uh, our good friends Tubi from the, from the top of the show. And they have a bunch of Albert Pune films for our American uh, listeners and also for Europeans with a VPN, because I think you can just spoof to the US and, and log in. You just need to give them an email address, I think, to register. You may not even need to do that, actually. Uh, I think you have to I think you have to give an email address if you want to be able to like pause and resume movies later on Tubi. But I think you can just log in and watch without giving them any information as long as they think you're in the US. But there is a bunch of Pyun movies on Tubi, including Cyborg, Sword and the Sorcerer, Nemesis, uh, Dollman. So, uh, you know, a dangerously close and vicious lips, which is one of my personal favorites, an absolutely bizarre 80s space rock opera. Um, so anyway, yes, Albert Pyun, if you're not into his films, uh, I guess check back. We did episodes where we do some some primers on what to look for in his work. But honestly, you get on Tubi, watch some of the big titles and, and get yourself on board because you'll have a good time. All right, and uh, Jake? Uh, yeah, I'd like to put over the first two-thirds of Triangle of Sadness. Uh, those were the parts I liked. Um, no, I'll put over something else. Uh, I've been re-watching uh, Lars von Trier's uh, The Kingdom, uh, a show that initially ran for two seasons, each about four episodes apiece, and then was cancelled, and a lot of the uh, cast members passed away. Um, but somehow, against all odds, uh, Lars von Trier was able to create a third and final season to wrap up the story called Kingdom Exodus, uh, which, as of this recording, uh, the first episode should be airing on Mubi this week. 
And uh, Mubi has also released restored versions of uh, seasons one and two of The Kingdom, which look better than my DVDs ever did. Uh, so I would say check out The Kingdom in its entirety now that uh, you can finish it. And like Twin Peaks The Return, 25 years later, he's had a chance to uh, wrap up a story that we thought was maybe lost to time. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, if you're if you feel like you're allergic to Lars von Trier's work, I get it, but I think this is him like kind of at his most playful, and uh, it's a really great little sp spooky hospital show with a lot of uh, soap opera elements to it, and a lot of characters tied in. It's a lot of fun. I it would is, recommend it. So yeah, check out the Kingdom. It, We're all fans of it here. It is yes. extremely confusing that Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is almost certainly uh, a Kingdom refit never under yeah that's i mean if you want insane to... that that's how that worked but anyway there we go <laughs> yeah it it's a good pairing but and then uh, there yeah, was also the american <laughs> remake of the kingdom uh stephen king's kingdom hospital uh which i i imagine no human on earth has ever seen but uh i'll just say you know i love the kingdom and I, it, how did I find it? I, I wonder. I, did I did I go and buy a European DVD to import, or, or was there perhaps someone who pointed me in a, in a direction that I might experience this thing and evangelize it to others? Uh, yeah, uh, that, that's enough. I, I've said too much. Anyhow, this is uh, it for this week. Uh, if you enjoy the show, it is Patreon-supported. Uh, we could always use a little help we don't make money doing this it is simply a hobby and uh if we can break even that's fucking fantastic so uh we appreciate everyone who does help us out and that includes at the five dollar level and above you'll get yourself named every single uh episode and that is kofax kropotkin um it is cww evan ryan dustin and paula thank you very much um yeah also at the 25 dollars level you can dictate an episode for us we'll do whatever you want um including paula has us do that put over segment you know we we abolished that segment before she came along and requested it back and uh we're happy to oblige um and at any level steve will dig into his media collection and he will send you something special uh, right out to your uh, home address as long as it's uh, in the continental United States. Uh, all beyond that, I can't think of much. You know, rate and review us on iTunes if you're so inclined, but uh, don't worry about it. Uh, it's not a big deal. But also, optimismvaccine at gmail.com for any uh, queries. We'll get you. And the last word. Is yours, Jake. Stitches get stitches. 